Good to see you tonight. My name is Melissa, and I am a, a grateful person today. <laughs> There's like a whole bunch of adjectives that we would all use, but I'm, uh, I'm grateful to be here today. I was reminded of, of an important life lesson throughout this week. This has been a week uh, for, for many people. You know when you're really, really thirsty and someone gives you a glass of milk. Now, I mean, milk, if you're having dessert, is, is fine, but you drink that glass of milk and you got the sort of, you know what I mean? <laughs> or you're thirsty and it's cold outside, and so you get a good cup of hot chocolate, but it, it still, it doesn't quench the thirst. Friends, as we enter into the Advent season, there's a lot of images that we're going to be using, but let me tell you, for the thirst that is so deep inside, it is only the living water that satisfies. And so a reminder to all of us to keep drinking from the fountain, which never runs dry and is always overflowing. And here at Mercy Street is a beautiful place to do that. And uh, I thank all those that gave testimony tonight. Sometimes we can't go and get our own cup of water, and so we call somebody, or we raise our hand, or we make that phone call, or we send the text. And um, it is important to be church to one another. So it's good to be here tonight. We are, uh, Luigi walked in and he said, yes, we're having a feast tonight. And we are, bread and juice the best meal that we can imagine, the sign of God's love with us, Jesus, who said, this is my body which is given for you, and this is my very life poured out for you so that you may never hunger again and you will never thirst again. Amen and amen. So during the month of uh, December, as we are moving through this season of Advent, which is a way of saying anticipation or waiting or expectation, we are preparing to remember that God took on flesh and moved into a small neighborhood in Bethlehem. God, uh, through Jesus and Mary and Joseph, they got kicked out of their house, exiled. It wasn't because they weren't paying the rent, but they got evicted and had to go to Egypt. They were in Egypt for a while, and then they were able to go back and settle in. But what we do during the Christmas season is we remember that this birth happened and the world changed. But it's still taking 2,000 years for all the circumstances to change. For God came and even God suffered. And so as we, um, as we make our way towards Advent, we'll be lighting a candle each week. This week was the candle of hope. In the coming weeks, it'll be joy and peace and love. And then we will have service on Saturday, December 24th. Some people are calling that Christmas Eve. We just call it Mercy Street. <laughs> but we'll be in here at 530 on December 24th. We'll light the white candle to remember Christ's birth and to anticipate when Christ comes again. So we'll be in the book of Isaiah, as the image on the screen says, the, um, the, this nativity scene of Mary and Joseph and an unlikely cast of characters of shepherds, also known as day laborers. Uh, they were in uh, essentially a barn and, and giving birth because there was no room in the Motel 6. And heaven had to break open to announce that God had come. 
And, uh, and yet, even in the midst of the birth, as I said earlier, there was still this things of, uh, of waiting. For Mary and Joseph were a people living under occupation. The Romans were kind of oppressing the Jews at the time. And so even though Christ had come, they were waiting. And for us today, even though Christ has come, God is with us. We are still waiting. And so we're going to look at a few passages from the book of Isaiah. Amanda will be teaching on it Wednesday nights and Saturday before uh, Mercy Street. It's often called the fifth gospel of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. <laughs> it's quoted more than any other. But tonight, Trey... Where, there you are. Trey, come on forward. He's going to read our passage for us tonight. Encourage him as he comes. Hey, my name is Trey. How y'all doing tonight? Uh, I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Uh, this is what Isaiah, Amaz's son, saw concerning Judah, Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountains of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted above the hills. Peoples will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, come, let, let's go up to the Lord's mountains, to the house of J Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways and we, and we may walk in God's path. Instruction will come from Zion. The Lord's word from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and subtle disputes of mighty nations. Then they, will, then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nations, nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer learn how to make war. Come, house of Jacob, let's walk by the Lord's light. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, the book of Isaiah was written during a time period in which, at this time, uh, the nation of Israel, the people of God, this would have been, uh, don't quote me exactly, but about 900 BC, about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And during this time, there was a civil war that was going on between the north and the south. You see, as it is today, the nation of Israel is this tiny little swath of land between Mesopotamia, Babylonia, Assyria, Iraq, Iran, depends on what uh, world history you're reading. It connects that to the continent of Africa and Egypt and these superpowers of Assyria and Babylon and what would become Persia and Egypt, they were constantly wanting to have this little land bridge that would give them power over everything. But at this point in which Isaiah is prophesying, the very people of God were arguing with themselves. I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore. Paul, Hinnick, it turns out we're all smoothing out our edges just a little bit, but not to make light of it, but the north and the south, the northern kingdoms, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, two tribes, were at odds with one another, not just through sending one another texts and telegrams, neither of those existed, but you get the idea, not just provoking one another through words, but they began to armor up 
talk to their neighbors that were either to the north or to the south and say, look, we're going to make a treaty with you because these folks, we, they used to be family, but now they're breathing down our necks. And what Isaiah's point is throughout these 65, 66 chapters is Isaiah is trying to say to the people, wake up. I know you are yearning for peace among one another and among this little piece of land on which you live. It is so fragile, but wake up. You are breaking a treaty with God. Because in this day and age, it was understood that the king of kings was God. We live in a different uh, environment today. God is still the king of the kingdom, but we've got different, uh, well, we're not going to get into politics. But anyway, you get the idea. What Isaiah was saying to them was, beware, the treaty that you make today may be with your friend, but tomorrow they may be your enemy. Anybody ever been there? Isaiah is saying to them, look, (laughs) you have broken the covenant with God, not only that you are looking to help beyond God, but that you are not treating the poor with dignity, you are not treating God's house of worship with dignity, and most of all, when things were going well, you patted yourselves on the back. And so Isaiah is saying to them, look, Now that the mess has hit the fan, because ultimately what ends up happening is the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom can't get along, the entire northern kingdom is annihilated. Want to know the guy's name? It's the best name ever. Tiglath-Pileser III. Isn't that good? Write that down. Put that on a stocking. Tiglath-Pileser III. Somebody fact check me on that. And literally, as the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem saw that their neighbors, their family, that they had been at war with, but now they were grieving because they had indeed been destroyed. And now the enemy was knocking on their door. And so understandably, they were grabbing every sword that they had. They were trying to armor up. And Isaiah is saying to them, wake up, turn to God. And in the midst of the waiting and in the midst of knowing that sometimes we know the right thing to do, but we do the thing that's convenient. Isaiah said, there will come a time when swords will be beaten into plowshares, where the blind who once could not see, their sight will be restored. The lamb and the wolf will have a tea party and sit down together. And so Isaiah's message for the first half of his book is a warning call, a wake-up call. But it's sprinkled with these signs, these waiting signs that we're going to be talking about during Advent because I think they can be waiting signs for us as well. And the one we'll focus on tonight is that swords were beaten into plowshares. Basically that a weapon would become an instrument of growth. Something that would be used to divide or to kill would now be used to uproot and to plant. All throughout the Bible, uh, 
The Bible is listed, or the, the word of God is listed as a sword that can cut through to truth. As I was thinking about how this metaphor applies to us today of a waiting sign that one day these swords will be beaten into plowshares, I don't have too many swords in my house. (laughs) And in some regards, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we give ourselves a little bit of a pass. Yeah, that was a long time ago. The God's nudge that I think comes to us tonight a waiting sign for us of how we can beat our swords into plowshares is that 70 times in the Bible, the tongue is listed as a sword. I know, Michelle, I started looking up the examples and I was like, oh, that's one. There's, there's like 70 of them. David, as he was on the run, his life was being threatened. His kingdom came quite some time before Isaiah wrote, David says this, my life is in the middle of a pack of lions. I lie down among those who devour humans. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharpened swords. The book of Proverbs, fools reveal their anger right away, but the shrewd hide their contempt. Those who state the truth speak justly, but a false witness deceives. Some chatter on like a stabbing sword, but a wise tongue heals. Truthful lips will endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. And so I did an inventory (laughs) just of the last week of how often my words were more like a sword than a plowshare. The times in which our words cause harm. And maybe they even feel as if uh, it's, it's what needs to be said in the moment, but it's the wisdom. Does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said right now? Or I may have gotten those out of order, but you understand. <laughs> what if the promise of God with us and God is tapping each one of us on the shoulder during the month of December to say, I want you to look at beating your swords into plowshares. I want you to look at your your words and your language, how you speak to one another. I want you to look at your words and how you speak to yourself. Because our speech, our, our words, they can wound or they can heal, they can cut down or they can plant. As we move through with tradition and ritual, there will be so many words that we'll exchange during this season. But I hope we can tuck a few into uh, our pocket and that we can plant them like seeds to spread hope or peace or love or joy or the very promise that God is with us. That we could plant that promise into the heart of someone else that we could, as the community, stand and at times have to endure the words from one another, but we can look to the moment where there will be healing. Where is God inviting you to turn your speech into your words? To yourself? To someone within your close circle? 
Sometimes it's easiest if we begin practicing this hard work on the outer edges. Let me give you a, an example. I always like to give you really great examples that um, prove the point that we are all still in progress. It is my tradition to stop and get a, uh, an iced coffee on the way to Mercy Street. And last Saturday, I followed the tradition. I do the mobile app. It's less talking to people. My introverted self loves that. I show up at the location. Usually, it's just there. I pick up my coffee. And uh, then the guy says, oh, it's not ready yet. Just hang on. I'm like, sure, no problem. So it's another like five minutes, which is an eternity. <laughs> I know how privileged this story is. It's a parable, but it's also true. And so it, finally he comes back later and he's like, we don't even have a mobile order. It's, which at this point, which I am preparing to come to church. I said, you got to double check your system. I ordered it. It went through. He said, no, it didn't. Yeah, it did. I look closely, I'm at the wrong location. <laughs> now this is the part of the parable where I say I turned my words into more of a plowshare. I took both hands on that sword and said, you got to fix your system. And I left. <laughs> it's terrible. So I go to the correct location, you know, and I'm hot and bothered. My iced coffee is now slightly room temperature. That place was a mess. There were sugar packets everywhere. And I walk in and I'm like, I'm fixing up this place. You got to clean it up. Clean it up. It's like a little tap on the shoulder of, uh, ma'am. <laughs> or as God sometimes calls me, knucklehead. Put the sword back in the sheave. You're embarrassed. You made a mistake, and in the moment, you couldn't even say it. It was about coffee. <laughs> and now you're all agitated, and so you want other people to be agitated. And, um, and so, I, you know, I can't say I turned it into a plowshare and, and said something healing in the place. I just zipped my mouth, <laughs> grabbed my coffee, and left. I've had one of those weeks, though, where, um, and maybe you have too, with the holidays upon us and all these extra gatherings, uh, some of my words, I, I wish it was as harmless as a, about a cup of coffee. <laughs> but I want to celebrate God with us and that God really can transform us from the inside out. God can take the words that you speak to others and most of all the words you speak to yourself as words of life and healing and comfort and truth <laughs> and correction and forgiveness. And what a beautiful way that would be to celebrate this Advent season, a waiting sign that comes to us to be able to say, I'm going to let God begin to transform and do something new in me for this moment, for these, these next 30 days. <laughs> 